from their secret mountain lair somewhere in Colorado, this is the Image Doctors Photography Podcast with your hosts, Jason O'Dell and Rick Walker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. And we are back with you for another exciting time. I hope everyone's starting to enjoy their summer as we're kicking off the holiday weekend here in the U.S. Uh, Memorial Day weekend. So hope everyone is safe out there. Um, by the time you hear this, you, hopefully you're enjoying something on your barbecue grill and not dying in a heat wave or something like that. It's been crazy weather i was looking at today for the much of our country we've got snow in the northwest and heat wave in other places so pick your poison i don't know what yeah you and and i'm gonna get on a plane on sunday potentially after some people listen to this i mean before some people listen to this and head to portugal so right that's so, what i'm doing for memorial day weekend well, that'll be that'll be fun, and that that'll be cool. something. I hope we have some a, a chance to talk about when you when you come back from that, because I know you're going to be bringing your new Olympus system OM one yeah. for that. So that's kind of a good. It should be fun. I've, I've enjoyed using it. So that's great. Okay, so a um, couple of news and announcements things for today. Uh, earlier this week, uh, Canon rolled out their uh, two new APS-C 1.6x crop. Uh, mirrorless cameras, the R7 and R10. These we alluded to in our discussion about the APS-C format. Um, and so we're going to just briefly mention these um, because they also came out with, I believe, some uh, some kit lenses and things like that for these. So these are two very different cameras, even though they both have a uh, APS-C sensor, right, Rick? Yeah, and the way I would describe them if I was going to try to do a short version of them is the R7 is the camera that I think could be of interest to um, current Canon owners, you know, like using an R5 or R6 who, who do a lot of wildlife photography and would like a second body to use that would, you know, give them more pixels on the subject. You know, it's a 32, I think, megapixel yeah, 32 APS-C and a half. Bottom. Yeah. And so that's that's pretty good resolution for an APS-C body. And coupled with, you know, something like their 100 to 400 zoom would be a great relatively expensive wildlife kit. But it's got things like two, um, you know, dual card slots, which mm -hmm. a lot of people like. It's got the subject recognition features that are on the more expensive R5, R6, R3 cameras and you know pretty good frame rate for mechanical it doesn't have the whiz bang electronic shutter you know with a stack sensor um, but you know the mechanical one is is pretty darn fast so that should be fine so i think someone is looking for a, a second body especially for wildlife it could make sense as a primary body you get into that thing that we talked about with APS-C um, bodies in general where what are the lenses that you can use mm -hmm. and it's it's just a little bit more restricted if if you're talking about ones that are really designed for that format yeah and i should i guess we should point out that canon is bringing out two um zoom lenses that are designed for aps-c for this mount 
um, it is a, um, there's a, an 18 to 150 sort of all purpose super zoom. That's um, not too fast. No, it's, it's not. Um, and then there's an 18 to 45, which is a small lens, but it's also fairly slow for an yes. F4, 4.5 to 6.3. Yeah. So, you know, the, we're not going to dwell on those, but those are, those are definitely in the realm of sort of what you might consider consumer grade, general purpose, small. I mean, not bad. We're not, it's not no, knocking no. the lenses. It's just saying, no. you know, if you're, if you're thinking about this as a second body, like you mentioned for, for someone who's really interested in a lower cost wildlife kit, you have a lot of good options. If you're looking at it as a general purpose kit, it might be, um, it might not be as, uh, many choices for lenses right now and again yeah. this is that question that we asked right are right. manufacturers going to support their APS-C offerings with some lenses on the wide side that that cater more to the you know enthusiast prosumers whatever you want to call them you know people who want the, right. that that format now the um the uh, the r10 is very different it's less expensive but it's really a consumer oriented camera it's very much like a canon version of a z50 so it doesn't look at it so it's 25 uh, 24 megapixel mm -hmm. um the the Which big is thing fine. yeah that's fine it does not have any of the in-body stabilization features so you're going to be then that's reliant reliant on lenses that have that or you just don't get it uh single card slot you, you know just lower autofocus sensitivity um the the shutter speed range isn't as great you know all of those things um really designed for people who are just looking to have maybe a, a decent family camera um i mean it's kind not of like the the role that the rebels filled yeah. in the past in many respects right um so you know it's got a price tag of under a thousand dollars us so you know, that's, uh, but I wouldn't be looking at this camera at all if you're an enthusiast looking to add it to no. your kit as it just, you know, it, it is a completely different beast, right? Yeah, it would, I think it would be a good camera for someone that just wants something, you know, this would be someone that you know, who wants a simple camera, and at most they're going to ever get two lenses, mm -hmm. and they might just be fine with one of those kit lenses. I think that's, the market or you know someone that's got more experience more stuff that just wants something simple at times for family photos and then like you were saying the the um r7 is the one that has the potential of people uh, potential appeal to wildlife and bird photographers that's how i would look at it cool well um without belaboring that let's yep. talk about the, you know, so we, as we mentioned that in-body image stabilization being a, a discriminator feature. Our main topic for today is to discuss image stabilization systems. Go figure. Yeah, and it's it's not that simple of one, really. And, and there's there are going to be a lot of things that we talk about where we're going to suggest that you go look at your instruction manual for your lenses, for your camera body, and do a little bit of research. Because there actually is a tremendous amount of variation out there. Right. between different manufacturers, what they set up as a default and what the other options are. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, let's let's a little step back into the Wayback Machine. Uh, we first started seeing stabilization in DSLR lenses 
or no, not even DSLR lenses in SLR lenses right. uh, in the late nineties, Canon, I think pretty much um, pioneered that in their big telephoto, their super telephotos, the 500, mm -hmm. the 600, the 400s, and they started adding image stabilization in there. Um, then we saw Nikon come into the game a little, a few years later, early two thousands with the 80 to 400 VR. Um, early stabilization systems were really always lens based for the most part uh, where the the lens was designed to have a floating element that could respond with the in conjunction with the autofocus system and and figure out things and the whole point of image stabilization you know as we've talked about in the past is to stabilize and reduce lens camera shake from from your from your um from your photos allowing you to hand hold at lower shutter speeds than you used to be able to do i mean that was the point so they yeah. used to talk about being able to shoot three four five stops less light than if you were you know than without a stabilized lens and the other benefit to them has been that especially if you're shooting with a longer focal length if you don't have any stabilization sometimes it can be a little bit hard if you're hand holding to keep an auto focus sensor on the right spot mm -hmm. in the image yeah they stabilize it'll the just wander around so having the viewfinder stabilized by that same system can be a wonderful thing and can make it much easier to get precise focus Okay, so, so it's we, not just about the shot. It's also about right. benefits while you're taking the shot. Right. Now, over time, the VR modes have changed. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Let's just talk about the other type of stabilization, which is more recent, and that's in-body image stabilization, or sometimes people call that IBIS as the mm -hmm. acronym. That's where the sensor itself shifts a little bit. Yep. And depending on the system that you use. Um, sometimes this can be applied to the viewfinder. Sometimes it isn't applied to the viewfinder. Um, sometimes it can be combined with a lens that has stabilization, or sometimes it doesn't. But many mirrorless cameras have this feature. And I personally think in when it's, when it's um, laid out well, when it's designed the right way, which, to, which is to say, in my opinion, would include viewfinder stabilization. The biggest advantage of it when it works is that um, you can design a lens without that floating element. So in theory, you can have lenses that are maybe a little bit better optical designs, uh, better, better quality. And then also uh, you can have lighter, less expensive lenses and still get the benefit of stabilization. So like when we've both used um, some of our mirrorless cameras with lens adapters, with older even manual focus lenses, all of a sudden you have a stabilized lens, you know, a stabilized image from a lens built in the seventies, you know, so it's kind of right. neat. I, I think that's yeah. very cool. It is. Now, you know, a couple things to know with the IBIS systems, you know, the in-body ones. One, they work best with shorter focal lengths. Mm -hmm. The longer and longer the focal length gets, um, the poorer it performs um, so that's just one thing to know the second thing is in general 
the smaller the camera sensor, the better the IBIS system is. And that gets into issues of just having to move around a larger um, sensor, you know, and just physically moving it around. And that also gets into things involving the, the diameter of the lens mount and stuff like that, which get into, gets into the issue of how much can that sensor actually be moved um, physically. So, you know, cameras like the Olympus that we talked about that I'm taking have absolutely excellent IBIS systems um, because the sensor is small, it's a pretty mature system, um, variety of things. And so you can use fairly long focal lengths with those. Um, ones in full frame bodies generally start breaking down when you get into the mid 100s terms of focal length does that sound mm. about right to you too yeah and it's certainly to your point this is why we still see vr lenses being produced Absolutely. by manufacturers uh for longer focal lengths uh so you'll see the vr lens like the 100s the 400s or the 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 you know the new super long telephotos they will have vr in them because they they need that um to work and they can either work by themselves or in some cases in conjunction with the ibis system to give you even better um image stabilization now right. now let's just move forward a little bit rick and let's just you know think about image stabilization you know the camera has to to know what's going on right so you've got you've got different kinds of shake you've got up and down you got left and right and and um you know the camera needs to be able to figure out do i cancel out all motion some motion right so these are this is where you get into the settings and it can be really really confusing yeah. um because you know if there are times when like say you want to pan if you want to pan you you don't want your camera fighting the pan, you know. You don't want it no, to be fighting you, because if you have the right um, stabilization setting, it will absolutely fight panning, or in this case, the wrong stabilization setting, yeah. if you if you will. So this is where you get into a problem. So so the question generally comes down to when should you use stabilization and when shouldn't you? Okay, and the the simple thing you know, is as a general rule, I think both of us follow the the guideline is if we're on a tripod shooting traditional tripod style photography, we don't use stabilization. No. And, and, you know, there are exceptions out there, but the problem is even within a certain brand, they're very much an exception. So it gets the easiest thing to do, in my opinion, is just turn the darn thing off. Right. If you're on a tripod, there, even, there's, even ones that are supposed to work on a tripod sometimes get a little bit flaky. Right. Now, there, there's a few times I've run into some extreme conditions with longer lenses on a tripod, you know, where I'm not totally locked down, where the lens had maybe a tripod mode setting. Some of the older, um, mm -hmm. the, the second generation VR systems that Nikon had, for example, uh, like if it's really windy and there's a lot of just jiggling around sure. that, you know, in, in landscape shooting where VR might help you. And sometimes I would try it both ways. But um, but yes, as a general rule, I, I will tell my clients, when you put your camera on the tripod, VR goes off. When you take it off the tripod, VR goes on or, and if or you're stabilization. Using a monopod, leave it on. Yeah. You then, can always leave it on. Then you get into the, the maddening part of the VR or stabilization modes. And this is something that I don't think either of us 
can really go into in any detail because this starts depending on your system. And then within the system, it can be particular lenses and or bodies. Mm-hmm. So this gets into the settings when you, so you say, okay, I'm going to be using stabilization for this kind of shooting. How should I set or configure the stabilization system itself? And the first thing that you pointed out, and I think this is a good answer is to what is the default? <laughs> you know, what is the, when you turn it on, what's it doing? Is it trying to stabilize all axes? Does it allow panning? Um, this absolutely depends on the camera and the lens that in the system that you're using, right? It, it absolutely does because there are some systems where the default is an automatic switching to panning, you know, whether it's horizontal or vertical, but it can handle the stationary stuff pretty well. There are other brands where the default is everything is locked down and it will fight against horizontal or vertical panning. And you have to switch to another mode, you know, out of that default mode in order to get it. And of course, there there are ones where they have separate settings for vertical or um, horizontal (laughs) panning. And then there are ones that have, you know, modes where they label it as active like Nikon used to do that. Right. And I think that's really the, let's try to lock everything down. Right. And it was suggested as being a good one, like if you were on a boat or whatever, but you could actually use it for more than that. And then there are the ones where you won't get any stabilization effect in the viewfinder and it will actually do its stabilization thing only when you fully depress the shutter. And right. so you never see it actually happening. Yeah. It's, to so me, you, that would be you more just have to do, And unfortunately, a lot of times it doesn't get labeled clearly. I mean, all the manufacturers do something where they put like, if they have a switch on the lens, mode one, mode, mode two, mode three. But you have no idea what those are unless you right. look in your instruction book and right. memorize it. Yeah. Nikon right now has in the newest stuff with their v, Z system lenses, you have... Um, stabilization on off or what they call a sport mode and the sport mode is is less prone to jumps in the viewfinder so that so here's the downside of vr with big lenses right if you're using the Mm -hmm. traditional stabilization mode you think about it you're you're holding the camera you're on your subject maybe a bird or an ant or whatever right and you press the shutter and what's going to happen is, see, the camera is moving. It's not like camera shake isn't going away. It's just compensating for it in the viewfinder. And then what would happen is that all of a sudden, when you release the shutter, well, you've moved the camera just a little bit. And now all of a sudden, you're not on your subject anymore because the viewfinder image appears to jump, right? If we've both seen this. Definitely. And it can be a real hassle at times if, if you are set the wrong way or just simply don't have a lens that works the way you want to for that kind of shooting both can happen so at least in my experience when i'm doing action shooting like wildlife i'll use nikon's sport vr setting which what they call sport which is less prone to a jumpy viewfinder Um, i don't think it locks the image down quite as as tightly but that's usually okay with uh, action subjects where you're using faster shutter speeds anyway um but again you have to kind of play with it 
So, uh, you know, we're not, this is not meant to be an exhaustive description of each VR mode in every system. The point is that they all call them something different, but they all, they all behave in the same general ways in, in terms of, does it allow for panning or does it try to, um, counteract panning? You know, does it try to lock down all the axes or does it lock down just some of the axes? And this really just depends on the camera system that you're using and, 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 and you know, heck, even systems change, like the settings from that earliest Nikon VR lens don't exist anymore. So you'd have to use completely different settings. They, now. They've all changed them so many times. It, it, it gets confusing. The bottom line is, you know, for this portion of our discussion, we'll do one final thing here. They vary a lot. You should understand what the current settings are that you're using are truly doing. Not, don't take a guess at it, but you know, do some research to find out what they're truly doing, and check into those settings that you don't use often. Often, and think about when they actually might be handy for you, because mm -hmm. most of them are. Just a lot of people don't really understand what they're doing. Yeah, and and it is confusing. And we've said this in the past, but we're going to say it again. VR, IBIS, IS, whatever you want to call it, stabilization systems, they don't freeze subject motion. They don't prevent blurry photos when your subject is moving. Yeah. And even though you can use some of them, like your Olympus in a very extreme settings, it's quite cool, actually, what you, I know you've been able to do. Yeah. Um, there are times when a tripod becomes necessary or right. some kind of support. So never assume that the stabilization is there to get you sharp shots of moving subjects or panning or whatever, you know, it's not going to freeze. You still need to use shutter speed to do that job for you. That's, that's the bottom line. Um, but I think both of us would, would say when we're shooting casually or travel or whatever, we're shooting with stabilization turned on most of the time. Yes. And, and the shutter speed, thing gets into the very final topic related to this and this is not one that we can give a conclusive answer on and it has to do with the use of um, image stabilization with higher shutter speeds mm -hmm. so think two thousandth of a second or something like that and here's what i would say i i saw some issues with higher shutter speeds with some older VR lenses or stabilized lenses. Issues being? Kind of a weirdness across the frame where okay. there was, um, you know, what I saw was central areas look pretty decent, maybe not quite as sharp as normal. And then the image got weird looking. Okay. You know, when you got towards so just the artifacts edges, or blurry, something was something going that's on. not right. Okay. You know, think about a moving element. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moving when it shouldn't have been. Um, I haven't seen that kind of thing in a very long time. And honestly, in my own case, I don't obsess about turning on and off image stabilization as I get into higher shutter speeds. And I really haven't had problems. But what I would recommend for our listeners, uh, try your stuff out. And, and don't just take one shot. You know, try 10 or 20 shots just to see if there's a pattern um, that shows up with image degradation due to stabilization, 
stabilization being turned on at higher shutter speeds. And if you don't see a problem, don't worry about it. Yeah, I haven't seen an issue either, especially when I'm using that sport VR mode on my mm-hmm. Nikon lenses. Um, it's been fine. There's plenty of other air, air places where things go wrong with motion blur and subject blur and focus accuracy. So I've never been able to attribute any soft images to the to the uh, to the VR or stabilization system. I've tried them both ways. Uh, I. Personally, I prefer being able to use it because of the viewfinder stabilization. Yeah. So when I'm shooting bird photography or whatever, I, I really still like that. On Anytime I'm using a longer lens, I really yeah. like having it on. Same here. So, Same here. so hopefully that's um, created some uh, thoughts for our listeners today. And um, homework know, assignments too. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so Rick, um, you enjoy your trip to, to yep. Portugal. Uh, we will have an episode uh, for next week, but we'll probably we'll probably have a, a small break while you're out of town. Um, but After uh, that. yeah, so look look forward to um, to your trip. Um, be safe out there, and until next time, happy shooting. All right, bye bye. <laughs>